at the beginning of class, please. Because I'll forget. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And we're going to remind you about the break. Please. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> That's your job. This is great. <laughs> um, it takes a village. So we'll pray. And last week, again, we didn't jump in anything heavy. We talked about the first five pages of the workbook, which is kind of the the guidelines we talked about the, of the discussions. We talked about the format of the class. The first half of class is a video. The second half of class is discussion. And the second half of the class is really where the meat, like that's where the magic happens in this room. They're, the video's okay, but like y'all are the key to the success. Again, we need good chili. Everyone needs to give a little bit of their ingredient in order so that we can have a good pot of chili. And that's it. So this, after I pray, um, I'll ask the folks, and I'm, I hate to inconvenience y'all right here on the wall, but you can't see the television. So I may actually need you to pull your chairs like in the middle somewhere. The video is about 30 minutes. No kidding. Like, like 30 minutes. Okay. So should you fall asleep? That's okay. Um, we'll still, I mean, (laughs) but we have five videos. So we'll watch one today, one for the next whatever, five uh, Wednesdays, and then we're done with videos, and then we'll do some other stuff. Any questions before we pray? What's that, sir? You know what? I thought about making popcorn. Would that be? Because that's easy. We got lots of popcorn. If only we had people to make it. Um, can you pray for us, brother? Go ahead. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Stand by for the video. And give me one moment. Oh, no. Um, as long as you can see, and if you can't see, you can hear, but there's some, uh, in the front of your workbooks, you can see the uh, biographies, brief, brief biographies on the panelists. <laughs> Dahadi. Yeah. Dahadi. Isn't that a cool name? Dahadi. Like you're Dahadi. It's Dahadi. Undivided. More than a hashtag invites church leaders in their. Stand by. Oh, that's Thank you. All right. Brown. Take two. Conversations about race. The church in our present cultural moment, undivided, more than a hashtag, invites church leaders and their congregations into the living room for candid 
gracious and biblical conversations about race. We primarily use Galatians chapter 2 as a framework for these discussions, a passage which addresses ethnocentrism and division, among other theological concerns. And while we won't be explicitly addressing all of the passages and themes, we recognize their importance. What we are going to focus on is an ethnic and socio-cultural aspects that inform Paul's writing. I truly believe that understanding these issues will shed a new light on theology Paul presents in the text. So just to be clear, I want to make sure you understand that we are focusing in on just one aspect of Galatians 2, division in the church. And I hope that what we're able to address in this series will lead you toward deeper study on your own. In this first session, we laid the foundation for the remainder of the series. If we are going to be undivided as a church, we need more than hashtags, token gestures, and formal statements. We must recognize this is more than a social issue. This is a following Jesus issue. It is a love your neighbor as yourself issue. We hope this series provides a model context and curriculum for church leaders and their congregations to have candid, gracious, and productive conversations about racial division that will lead toward action and lasting change in your churches and communities. May God be rich in mercy to you, your family, and your church as you seek to be undivided. Lord, we need for you to superintend our time today. Bless your word. Give us your specific direction. You are holy and your word is holy. We invite you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for joining us, you know, in this time. I'm really excited about being able to talk about something that is dividing our country in so many different ways. And one of the things that I've always believed and always thought that if we're going to make disciples in North America, we have to address the issue of race. And this is not an issue that is foreign to the scriptures. It's not an issue that's foreign to the Bible. This is an issue that is grounded in that. It, it talks about that. It says that. And really, um, over these next you know five sessions, basically, we're going to be talking about and breaking that passage down and, and really kind of build on what the framework that we've created with the Undivided series. In the first Undivided JD, we, we created that we talked about just this idea that was actually in the book of Acts, you know, give a little framework about just what we did in the first framework and then we'll kind of build from there. Yeah, I mean, so it is a gospel issue, as you're rightly acknowledging, um, because Paul, when he was confronting, it's, it's amazing when you start reading the New Testament in context, you realize how many of the conflicts and how many of the letters are arising over some kind of racial cultural tension. So in that first Undivided, we were trying to just really set the table. We, we put a four-part grid out there that basically um, says that churches go through four stages. The first stage is ignorance. And that's usually a homogenous culture church where you're just not aware of really any problems or any conflict because everybody thinks like you and they look like you and they, you know, approach questions like you do. Um, the second stage is awareness. 
And awareness is where you start to become aware that other people are not as comfortable as you are in various situations, or maybe they experience the world differently. Maybe they're Christians that walk with God as closely as you do, but they just see an issue differently. Um, the third issue, uh, the third uh, stage is what we call intentionality, and that's the relational building stage. And then the fourth one is gospel community. I would say, if anything, the next five sessions that we're going to go through is, is an attempt at taking some of those intentional steps of what is it like to have these conversations with brothers and sisters that, um, that, that, that are going to bring different perspectives into this. How do we find that unity in the gospel? Well, is it, is it a gospel issue? Absolutely. 100%. I, I, I think that as we have this conversation, that we are unified because of the saving work of our king. And the saving work of the king gives Abraham this beautiful family that God the Father promised him. And this family is to be a family of oneness and beauty. Therefore, the issues that we see bubbling to the surface now is a lack of actually engaging what the gospel is. It is more than simply a transaction, but it is the redemption of a community that are to live in harmony. And so what Paul does here so beautifully is he actually rebukes Peter who got involved in multi-ethnic ministry in Acts chapter 10 before Paul did. Hmm. And so Peter had experience, like Peter's the one in Acts 10 who says, oh my goodness, God shows no, no favoritism. You know, you Gentiles, we wouldn't even come into your house, but now I know. And so he experienced this yet when the party of James comes, he slips back into this habit. And even it led Barnabas astray, which yeah. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And, and, and so this is central. The idea that Jesus saves you simply to go heaven when you, when you die instead of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth revealed in the multiplexity of God's beautiful creation is foreign to the scriptures. Yeah, that's so, what I love what you're talking about is that and really when we're this whole thing is talking about this, this is more than the hashtag, right? It's right. more than just simply cliche statements. It's more than just a statement. It's it's you see in the text that this is about taking it to action. And so when we talk about doing this undivided, we're kind of moving into what JD talked about, that intentionality and the mm -hmm. steps are moving into walking in line of the gospel. And that's what I love about the text is you, he was not walking in line are in step with the gospel. So it's about, this is a, an action text. You know, it's not a, just a, solely a statement, you know, text. Peter shows his humanity. Unfortunately, he, he compartmentalized. He, he was weak in his faith and what he knew. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to avoid any, he wanted to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. He was with his homies, his, his guys, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And maybe he was enamored by Paul, this groupie guy. Mm -hmm. And so he compromised. Yeah. And Paul not rebuked him on a publicly rebuked him. But he showed his humanity, right? He knew the scriptures and all that. Like you said, um, Acts chapter 10, he talked about the, you know, the God said, what I made clean is clean. But he wanted to, you know, avoid conflict. And sometimes yeah. we do that. And I've been involved with people that way too. Yeah. I like to think of some people that I've seen, you know, I, I you know, work with people that are resistant. After a while, you just say, okay. Um, the reluctant you have to stick with, but you have to make them ready. And I like what you said, J.D., but the series before talked about where our churches need to be. But 
Peter's issue. He had some issues. Yeah. So we talked he about. He fumbled the ball. He, yeah, he fumbled <laughs> the ball. He fumbled the ball. And because in its end, he was stepping into multi ethnic ministry, being able to wrestle. Jimmy, as a pastor of a multi ethnic church, you know, talk to you a little bit about that. Like, how does this text ring out to you? Well, it rings out to me because of the, the power of the gospel to transform hearts and pull people together. And so, to me, one of the things that it instructs pastors about is we got to get our house in order when we're in here. So we know we have to be salt and light when we go to be the church out there. But we've got to create this pocket of kingdom, equality, and honor, and fellowship in when we're in, at least when we're in here. I mean, we know it's going to be messed up from time to time out there, and we maybe can't change all of that all the time. But good grief, when we gather in here for a fellowship meal with our own brothers and sisters and in here, that's what Paul's addressing in, 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 when he talks to the church at Corinth, uh, when, it, when they did the Lord's Supper wrong. That's what he's addressing when he says in the book of Ephesians, hey, the, the gospel is supposed to be destroying the hostility that right. exists from person to person. Yeah. Right. That, that's what he's talking about here. So, And he uses that word hypocrisy so powerful. Like, come on, guys. If we can't honor one another and treat one another yeah. with this right. fundamental equality from creation story to the redemption story at the cross. If we can't, if we can't pull it together in right. here, my gosh, you're actually obscuring the gospel. That's you right. Know? When you think about it, it's almost like one of the biggest wasted opportunities is that the gospel, Ephesians 3.10 says, was supposed to be a miracle, the mystery of God's power when the people that had very little in common in society found unity in Christ because they had you know, one common creator, God, one common problem, sin, one common solution, the blood of Jesus, one common hope, the resurrection, and the unity they found in that so outweighed all the divisions in society that the watching world would say, hey, there's something otherworldly about this. And instead of embracing that, our, our birthright, our identity, and finding that unity in the gospel, sadly, as we know all too well, the church has been been the place where that hasn't happened. Not only has it not happened there, they've sometimes been on the opposite side, the wrong side of these conversations. And it's it's a gospel issue because the integrity of the gospel itself, the New Testament says, is verified by by by, by what we do and how we live this issue out. Absolutely. JD, I think what's encouraging to me as a pastor is if this could happen to Simon Peter. Mm. This can happen to me. I'm not any better than Peter. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, to tell you the truth. And yet, uh, I like what, there's a couple of things Tony Evans says that I, I think really lock in on, uh, even about this text. He said, first of all, when there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. And so he says, what's happening here, uh, Peter, is that you are discrediting the gospel message. Now, he didn't give him a sensitivity training. Uh, he didn't give him a 10-week Bible study. He just said, listen, I'm going to confront you face-to-face, -face, and I'm going to tell you what you're doing to the gospel. Second thing Tony says, uh, Evan says, I like, he says that God's not going to skip his house to fix the White House. Mm -hmm. and, and so if we don't get it right here, if the church does not embrace this and we model it, we are to model this. The gospel that came to us did not just cause us to put our arms down and stop fighting with each other. We are part of each other. We are already one. The, the racial reconciliation is not something you achieve. It is something you believe. And so what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, you, you don't get it. You, you can't be, make sure that you are a person with integrity here. And yet, listen, his fear led to his fall. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And I'm telling you, that can happen to this pastor. Can I add? And, and that was so beautifully said. <clears throat> Let's take a step back, right? And I, I think this is really important that there are historical narratives. So if I'm a Jewish person in the first century context and I think of a Gentile, historically, I think 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So that's not a good start with Gentiles. Then we got to deal with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Zezubites, and ants to probably bite to get to the, <laughs> the promised land. Those are the and the up, yeah, the uptights. <laughs> uh, and when you get to the promised land, you disobey God. Deuteronomy 27 30 says, you know, there's going to be stuff that happens. So they get carried into slavery by the Babylonians. Now you finally get back to the promised land and you got the Romans oppressing you. So as a Jewish person, even though you're a believer, What's your perspective of years and hundreds of years and so much pain and oppression? And you've been told, go make disciples of the people who oppressed you and enslaved you. So let's keep that sanctification part important. And I think it's a tool of the devil where people will say, don't talk about race. Mm -hmm. um, I know from time to time, Derwin, you talk about race too much. Don't, don't talk about race. And I'm like, well, we have no more Bible because Jesus came to save the human race, which is comprised of different ethnicities. And as a black pastor, like we, we, we talk about race. But for like a lot of my white pastor friends, oh, man, he's talking about why are you talking about what's well, right there in the text. In our church, when somebody says, OK, why are you talking about, you know, if, for example, an Amada Arbery situation or a George Floyd, those are the world's issues. And we just need to focus on the gospel in here. What I want to say is, is, well, first of all, there's a lot of our black brothers and sisters in here that are grieving. And when we don't mention this, when we don't bring this up, it creates an obstacle to them. And that Jerusalem council was like, how do we eliminate the obstacles? And, and then the way they explain their rationale is we don't want to make it hard for the Gentiles to come to God. We don't want to make it hard. So I want to say, I don't want to make it hard for our black neighbors to hear the gospel. And some of your Facebook, pace, Facebook posts are making it hard for them to hear the gospel. So we want to grieve with those who grieve. We want to lament. We want to bear these burdens because we, we, it's a gospel issue of, of we're showing this gospel transforms not just our vertical relationship. It gives us different horizontal relationships that changes how we look at other things. And this gospel is for you. And I think it has to be done in pursuit of a faithful gospel ministry. See, that's why I think it's so powerful in a church because to me, I, again, if we can't get, this is what, this is what Paul's writing about. It's messed up when they came to church. This isn't they're messed up, you know, at the ball field or somewhere else. You can't even come to church and be treated as equals. They're separating different tables, and I'm not going to eat with this group, and I'm going to eat with that group. Come on, man. And that's what I want. You know, I, I know that all of us want that. Like, I want people, when they come to family church in South Florida, it may be really tough out there. But when they come in here, I want them to have, like, an oasis of peace and equality and brotherhood and sisterhood where part of that is we do name names and we do bear one another's burdens explicit burdens and i think what you're saying is the idea of being countercultural, and even us as the church is yes. when things start seeping into the church when all of the things whether we're implicit complicit or explicit about it the bottom line is that you cannot give what you do not have right and in a world that is so divided 
That's the, that is the problem is that the church is just as divided, if not even more divided in so many different ways. And we don't give them that oasis. I want to piggyback on what uh, Pastor Gimme said is nobody wants you to piggyback on anything. But no, I mean, no, seriously, because I mean, yeah, you, you don't want me to play. If I'm thinking you, you might have, your back might be hurt like my back hurt. Let me bear one another's burdens. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so, so in essence, in essence, the Judaizers wanted the God-fears, the Gentiles who had not become full Jews yet, but once the Messiah comes, the Judaizers wanted the Gentiles to take upon the Jewish ethnic boundary markers. Yeah. In other words, what they were saying is, assimilate and become Jews, then you can really follow God. And what Paul is saying is saying, no, 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 no. Now, the ethnic boundary marker for the people of God is the blood of Jesus. Amen. The ethnic boundary mark is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So therefore, we don't become colorblind, we become color blessed. Therefore, we don't ask you to obliterate your cultural distinction. We celebrate your cultural distinction and, 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 and it's all grace. You cannot spell grace without race. Right, that's good. God's grace creates a new race called the church. And I think in here, in Galatians, in Romans, in Ephesians, I would say a lot of times they're at, they're answering the question is, how Jewish do you have to be in order to be Christian? That's what they're asking. Right? And if we were, and you really think about that, is this how Jewish do you have to be in order to be Christian? Is this like how much of the Jewishness do you have to do? How does, uh, I'd love to hear from two pastors and, and, and Karen, you, how does white people's silence in the face of all too all things like well, what our country's gone through recently. How does our silence make it difficult for black people to hear the gospel and to, to come to God? Great question. Well, you know, it's not lost on me if you do a little exposition on Galatians. And Paul gave voice to the Gentiles who may be in the back room and saying, somebody spoke, speaking up for me. Crickets. Paul publicly rebukes. He don't wait to get them off to the side and take them through a little testing time it was a public Test. sin and he publicly rebuked him and the gentiles would say somebody spoke gave me a voice yeah. and so we don't need folks to say oh i got a bible verse for that or i'll pray for you be the voice yeah. no more crickets yeah. you know karen i think what you're describing is is exactly what psalm 89 14 says the foundation of really what we're talking about is righteousness and justice and it's surprising how many times those two words are used in the Word of God. Psalm 89, 14 says that, that justice and righteousness are at the very foundation of the throne of God. I, I think in many ways, uh, in the white churches, you will find us predominantly preaching righteousness. And I think, and I'd be real careful here, because anytime you generalize, that's a general lie. Okay, so I don't want to. I don't want to do that. It's just full of like these little like. I keep writing them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I, I think in the black church, there's more justice. I think we could both step our game up by saying, you know what? It's not seesaw. It's not back and forth. They're twin towers. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, you know, I'm gonna preach. No, no. It's righteousness and it's justice, and 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 that's the the mandate. It's not just saying that I am not a racist. That's good. You can applaud yourself for that. But the question then becomes in turn, not just you're not a racist, but are you anti-racism? I know a lot of white white believers will say, well, okay, I, I, I wasn't there for slavery. 
and I wasn't there for even Jim Crow laws. And I'm not guilty. You know, I look at my heart and I don't see that I'm racist. And so I, I, why is this my issue? Right. The way and, and what I've you know, tried to help them see is like, well, look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. OK, you had a guy there on the side of the road who was beaten up. Um, a, Jewish no guy. a Jewish guy. Yeah. There's no indication yeah. that the Samaritan did the beating up. You know, it's, it, he, he didn't need to repent for the guy being beaten up there, but it would have been sinful in Jesus' parable for him to walk on by. And so the fact that um, I'm looking at issues, that, that, that whether it's the scales of justice being out of balance or some of the long-term legacy and damage that's come from things like slavery and Jim Crow and the devastations it's caused in communities— I bear a certain responsibility to not walk by that situation, but instead to say, hey, your burden has become mine because this is what a Christ follower does is he works for justice and for blessing for others as fervently as he would for, for him, himself, or his own kids. And, and, and to add to that, right, Jesus said what is most important? Uh, love God. Are your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. One of the things that we say at Transformation Church is, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us because of the work of Christ, when you begin to love and care about issues that don't affect you or people that look like you, that's when you're beginning to grow. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The other thing is this, and I think this is so important, and I want to preface what I'm going to say, and it's important for us to put on our big boy and big girl pants, is whiteness is not the normative for Christianity. The norm is Jesus and his kingdom. And God invites us by grace to participate in his life. He invites us to join him. Are you preaching now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to preach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is this what I talk about and make it good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't help it. I love it. That's why we have to speak, though, because to me, and that's what, you know, when you talk about whiteness and what, and should we be speaking to this? We have to because, you know, St. Paul said that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. He said it is as if God was making his appeal through us. Well, God doesn't make his appeal through us if we're not speaking. Okay, so if God is giving us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation, then you can't remain silent in the face of injustice or mistreatment of brothers and sisters because God's given us the ministry of reconciliation and he is it's as if he's making his appeal through us. So powerful. You know what? I was going to say, circle back around what J.D. said concerning the slavery question. Yeah. You know, somebody's, you know, I always heard, had that question too. And it's wearisome, burdensome from just to go back and educate people again. So I think... Probably we need to be able to give some um, talking points because somebody will say, like a white friend said to me, that was hundreds of years ago. I'm good. It hasn't. So what do you say? What can what talking points can we give besides just maybe a verse, a script, or something like that to just say, especially if they really want to know? Uh, Karen, I think that's a great question because I think that's where, particularly a lot of those that are in the the majority culture, are like, what you know, what do we say here? We've talked about the the parable of the good Samaritan that that just because I'm not the one, that doesn't mean that I, I'm relieved of responsibility. But I think in the United States, it even goes a little bit deeper because we recognize that because um, certain people defined by race were in power for so long, they created some of these systems that have worked better for them 
quite frankly, than they have for, for other people. Just if you go back and look at the history of um, whether it's Jim Crow laws or, or practices like redlining and, and some of the long-term damage. Um, one, uh, there's a, a political commentator, and he's very conservative. Let me just add that. So this is not, you know, just sort of a, a left-wing talking point. He, he says the word systemic used to really bother me because I thought it meant that the laws themselves were bad. And he said, we got that correct in the civil rights movement, and so why are we talking about systemic laws? Here's how he defined it, and I thought it was really good. His name is David French. He says, a system in which public policies, institutional practices, cultural representations, and things like movies and books and, and other norms work in various, often reinforcing ways to perpetuate racial group inequity. It identifies dimensions of our history and culture that have allowed privileges associated with the color of one's skin, whiteness, and disadvantage associated with color to endure and adapt over time. Structural racism is not something that a few people or institutions choose to practice. Instead, it's been a feature of the social, economic, and political systems in which we all exist. Yeah, that's really good, and I think it's a great summary. I, I would, however, say that we also need to understand that the systemic racism is not just that the due process is not just happening. It has been an intentional thing because even in the text, it talks about this idea. This matter arose because false brothers infiltrated our, t- our ranks to spy out the yeah. freedom. So it's also in a very intentional very thing that has happened over the before the 13th Dominion, after the 13th Dominion, and what minorities are in African Americans are saying, it's still happening today. So it's not just that it's happening and the system is not working for African Americans, but we're we're talking about a system that when we talk about systematic racism, that is intentionally still trying to oppress. And I think that that's really what's important about these types of conversations is being able to have these conversations where we can be, begin to talk and have real conversations where we can speak the truth in love, right? And in speaking the truth in love, there may be some things that may not sit right with us, but we have to stay in the fight, right? Because what you see is Paul willing to travel all the way to Jerusalem to stand before the powers that be, to be able to address and to advocate and to fight for to fight for and to give voice to a group that did not have voice in you know in the church. And so throughout this time, ultimately, that's really what we want to do over these next five sessions. You know, and the way we're doing it, it may be a little awkward for some, you know, um, during this time because like this is a multi, you know, ethnic um, group, multi-racial. Um, but the next one, we're going to go with the all-black group. And we're going to look at the first five verses of Galatians and just talking about some of those things. And then we're going to go with the all-white panel. And we're going to talk about, and, you know, and the goal of that time is not, the you know, for the black people to fix white people or, you know, or the white people to fix the black people. That's not the goal of that time. And then we'll get back together and we'll talk some more about, is this a gospel issue? What or is more the goal than of the time That's not the you goal. Know? But, I, but, I mean, so the goal of the time is to create honest dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, with the goal and the heartbeat of reconciliation and so that we can push towards that. And part of the reason why we're doing it the way that we're doing, because like we know in any marriage couple or anything, you know, that you have a husband and you have a wife that is that that are, you know, that are having marital problems. And there, but there are certain times, you know, that we recognize that in order for them to reconcile, they're going to have to have conversations. But there are certain times where some men need to take that husband and go have a conversation with the husband. And some of the women need to take their wife and have a conversation with them. But ultimately it's for the reconciliation. And so as we're dividing the panel and as we're doing what we're doing, we're doing that because there are 
there, there needs to be talks that we have in, within our, but we also need to come together and be able to do it. So how can we have truthful conversations so that we can show the world that the church, Jimmy, as you said, is undivided, mm-hmm. that they're undivided, and that when those issues are in the church that right. we intentionally, with gospel intention, uh, uh, approach them and address them because it's not walking in step with the gospel and the God that we serve. Amen. 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 Are you preaching now? childhood experiences or your background and to think that maybe something at some point that you've either experienced or were exposed to was not healthy in terms of just like gospel community like does that scare you a little bit you said yes sister I think that we grow uh, that we go through our lives thinking that we understand things and we don't stop to think that other people are looking at a different kind of a situation. I, I, uh, I guess he said he doesn't want to offend anyone and I think that sometimes we offend people without even knowing that we did it, without even, because we didn't understand how the other side, the other person was looking at it, and we never would have offended them. Uh, I have an example. Um, many years ago, when I was teaching, um, one of my colleagues and I were chosen to go to South Carolina and present certain educational concepts to a school division. And I was all excited. We got on the plane and flew to Columbia, and we got off the plane and we sat, we went into the hotel, we were waiting to be picked up by our host people. And we were sitting in this beautiful hotel and I'm looking all around thinking how wonderful that I'm here, this is great. I got chosen, you know, we were chosen, my friend and I. And uh, as we were sitting there in the lobby of the hotel, I turned around and looked at him and he wasn't feeling the same way I was feeling. And I thought, you know, what, what's the matter with him? He's over here sitting like he, he's not having a good time. 
And I said, are you okay? And he said, I don't like it here. I want to go home. And I said, why? And he pointed out the window at the South Carolina state flag. And I hadn't even noticed there was a flag there. And I, from that day on, I realized why that is offensive to people. I never thought about it before. It's just a piece of cloth, who cares? But it is offensive to people. And since then, I've known to be more careful about things like that. But I never realized it before. Um, he was offended by that. So I would like to say that, like I think this is a healthy <clears throat> conversation, and it's something that we should do as the church is to find out um, if there's something, any kind of sin that we're holding on to, um, that we should uh, be able to talk about it, come together, and forgive each other for that. But the thing that I have with this video and this is that um, it seems like there's a lot of terms that I'm not really liking. Um, and and the, the way that they're describing Galatians 2, like, we clearly know that that was about the law, them trying to push the law plus Christ, and those were false brothers who were doing that. They weren't Christians, and I don't see where ethnicity has anything to do with um, what they're talking about. Thank so, you. And I, I'm not sure why we have to use the word whiteness. I mean, you know, if uh, we would have had another person, like if a white person would have been like their blackness, how we would have felt, we would have felt about that person saying blackness. So I don't, I don't care for that word. Um, I think there were some, yeah, I'm, it's, it seems a lot of focus. And, and when we say that we're, this is a multicultural issue, but then we just have a black and white panel of people on there. <laughs> we're not making a multicultural issue, we're making it about the black and white issue. And that's something that is going on in the world and we're bringing it into the church. I understand that there's racism. I've felt it from all sides, but it, it feels like there's a lot of pointing fingers when there's just be, you know, there's three more pointing back at those people that are speaking. Like, it, it's just not in the, the white church, the white church, or the black church. So why, why, why wasn't that brought up? Like, the black perspective of how we saw racism in our church. I don't, when I, when I spoke last week, I went home and I thought about what I said, and I don't think I really communicated. What I was talking about, I can only control myself. I can only control, I, can, I, I, I feel the way I am, I am the way I am, but I can't control how other people see themselves. And throughout my day, people come into my sphere of influence where I see them and I interact with them. And all I see, I, I'm, I'm not white, I'm not male. When I look in the mirror, I see a wonderful creature created in the image of God. A new creation made in God. The that's, old has passed away. That's who I am. And when I, and I, I mean, every one of us here is beautiful in our own way. You know, sorry ladies, not a lot of y'all are going to make it on the 
cover vote. I'm not going to make it cover vote. But we're all beautiful in our own way. We're a unique creation. There's not another one of you or me on the face of this God's green earth. But when someone else comes into my sphere of influence, I see them as a beautiful, another beautiful creature, creature created in the image of God. But if they define themselves by their ethnicity, if they just define themselves by their gender, if that's so important to them, is that how they define themselves? I can't help. Them. I don't. I don't identify them that way. I just don't. I mean, if it means, I mean, if experiences in their life have taken them to that point, you know, that you've got to work past it. I mean, you look at the history of mankind. Mankind, since the fall of Adam and Eve, have done a few things very good. We have enslaved. And it's, it's from the beginning of time to today. We have, we have killed one another. And that's from the beginning of time till today. And I would, I would most people don't realize that. I'd, I'd, I'd ask you to go home and Google search how, how many years of, since the creation of the United States that this country has been in a conflict. Not a, quote, war, because we don't, we've gotten to the point where we don't like to declare war. We have incidents where we send our army in and take care of people we think need to be taken care of. And this country, it's, it's been less than 50 years that we haven't been killing somebody. And I'm, I'm not down in our country. Uh, we're the, I, I believe with all my heart, we're the best game in town. We're far from perfect. We're a country of 350 million. And a large, large portion of 350 million don't have Christ in our heart. Mm -hmm. And that's our identity as Christ, not America. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's my identity. That's our identity. New creations. A new creation. The, um, in Genesis 4, we see the first time ever um, a murder in Scripture. Let's go to Genesis 4 real quick. As we're turning to Genesis 4, um, let's think about Genesis 1. I love Genesis 1. <laughs> My children know Genesis 1. It's what I remember growing up in Sunday school, Genesis 1. We all know Genesis 1, right? What happened in Genesis 1? And how were things? Perfect. Oh, man. Shoot. Were they good? They were good. Elijah, were they good? They were good, yes, sir. I mean, we're all in the garden eating watermelon and pomegranate. And what's those weird fruit in California that Thanks. grow like tomatoes on the trees? <laughs> the red ones. Pomegranate. No, not pomegranates. Persimmons? Persimmons. Those are gross. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't care if they're serving that in heaven. <laughs> I wish so bad, friends, that we all saw ourselves, every one of us, as Genesis 1. Just, just, just the creation of God, the imago de this just as God has created us. But somewhere, Genesis 3 came along. And then we see Genesis 4. Dalton, you got your Bible? Sure. Of course you got your Bible. Dalton, can you read... Um, 
Can you start at verse 1 and maybe get down to about 10? 1 through 10. And maybe you, if you want to do just the first five verses of Genesis chapter 4, Dalton, you can pass it off to somebody else and do the second half. Y'all are not going to understand that this is King Eddie. I like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When it's Genesis, I like it here. Y'all but I'm just trimming it against we'll, you. We'll follow along. <laughs> <all this. laughs> and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offered unto the Lord and Abel. He also brought of the first men of the flock and of that thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no, uh, no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. One through five. Thank you, sir. Somebody please. I'll, I'll finish up to ten. Yes, sir. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What made Cain and Abel different? Attitude. The sacrifice. The offering. Their heart. Yeah. Heart. yeah, one had faith and one didn't, because that's what Hebrews 11 tells us. One came with faith and the other one was just giving, just to give. If you would have looked at them, like, would they have looked any different than each other? I'm sure they probably favored each other. They didn't, I don't think they looked at each other as if they were um, different. Well, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I guess Cain didn't look at Abel as if it was his brother, but something went wrong, right? Way wrong in the, in the Adam and Eve household. God never meant for us to get to this point. It shouldn't be. Like, this is tragic. But he knew we would. Mm -hmm. He knew yeah. we would. But what of course wrong? he knew. Yeah. What went wrong? That's a good question, though. What went wrong? Jeremiah 17, 9. Mm -hmm. It's a hard issue. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. The heart is deceitful and desperate wicked above all things. Who can know it? My heart is just as desperately wicked as it was before who saved. The only difference now I got the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. living in me to control me. Mm -hmm. I got two natures that I have to deal with. My sinful nature and the nature of God. Who pilots my ship on a daily basis? Amen. I think that's very important because when you said you didn't understand, you didn't identify with what someone else's needs or wants or insecurities was, don't you think that if we're seeking the Holy Spirit for that, that He will point that out? And, and, you know, so I can have compassion for you because the Holy Spirit has told me or impressed upon me that you have an issue with something. Well, maybe that's how he pointed it out. I, I have been totally oh, yeah, different. but I don't know that we ever ask of that, of the Holy Spirit. Can you help me understand? We pray that the Holy Spirit could, could well, So that I can different. be compassionate to them, because I don't understand why they're upset. So help me understand so I can be compassionate and, and show brotherly love. 
And I think that through the scriptures, that is what pierces our hearts. So when we read that we are not supposed to love our brother, I mean, hate our brother, if you have any kind of ill intent towards your brother, then you're not within the body of Christ. Right. So when we read scripture and then we can identify that because this is our identity, it's in Christ. Um, and then also having discussions with other people uh, can also help, but you'll be able, I think, to recognize it more because the Holy Spirit, exactly. I don't think the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to work on these things. I think that's the key in, in asking the Holy Spirit because we all have, hate to tell you, unconscious bias. Yes, we right. do. We are not as pure as we'd like to think we are in our thoughts. Oh, I like every black person. That's really nice, but I have unconscious bias. I do. I was I was raised in the South by a mama from Augusta, Georgia. <laughs> I mean, so you know, I have conscious uh, unconscious bias. So until we admit that, number one, and number two, ask the Holy Spirit to show us those unconscious bias, because I don't know they're unconscious. And I don't always see them. If I see a man walking down the street, do I, and it's dark, how do I respond if it's a black man versus a white man? Is there, so, is there something unconscious in me that says, ooh, the white man's safe and the black man's not? I mean, you just have to really ask yourself these things. They're hard questions. Sister, what, can you share? It wouldn't matter what color walking down the street anymore. Well, this is true. It's a man and a man. Yeah, it's a man. That's true, true that. But, but that yeah. not being my my point being, I know do you do you have an unconscious bias? You really have to keep yourself in check. But do you feel like you're being racist because it is a colored man? Like if you just notice color, do you, you feel racist because yeah, you, you notice color, right? When it's just a visible. Well, like you were saying, so one But that's unconscious. So my sister's got a question. Got that search I search my heart. No, I was just gonna, you know, just like in marriage, right? Like yeah, you continue to grow in your love and find ways to love more and, and love better, right? And just and that's how, like within the church seeking through this to find ways to love each other better. And the only way that we know how to truly love, right, is from the Holy Spirit. Is exactly. the, the, God, the, the love that God has shown us is the love that we seek to show other people. And so for me, like, I'm just thinking of this, like, in a, I, I want to learn how to love other people the way that God wants me to love other people. So we search the scriptures. Right, right. The, um, let's say... If there was, was it Bill? I said, I don't know if we can reach that goal. I know the Lord's been messing with me to, to love your enemies, and it goes back to what y'all were saying. It's, you know, every person is made in the image of God, and we are called to love them. I know, I got aggravated with somebody the other day, and I am, I am my coworker and said, I just have to remember he's made in the image of God. He's made in the image of God because I have to remember that because my, you know, you're making me mad. <laughs> I prayed a bad prayer, and there's no such thing as bad prayers. Okay? I said, God, make me blind. I don't want to see. I don't want to, and I, I don't want to see a person and see something other than a, a, a child of God. Do you understand what right. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't want, and again, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, 
but I still see Richard instead of God's child sometimes. <laughs> Go ahead, Carrie. I, I do worry that sometimes we're, um, the, you know, it does talk about, the Bible talks about that everyone is a different part of the body and that each part is important. You can't have the hand without foot and the eye without hand. And so I do worry about us erasing culture and race. Because I went, I've been, our old church, would do a cultural night and um, we would have different people who spoke different languages read the Bible in their language. And it was beautiful to hear the Bible in other people's languages. And we've also been overseas on missions and hearing them worship the Lord in their language and in their style. In Korea, they use tambourines, like gorgeous tambourines to praise the Lord, our Lord. Um, and so I think sometimes in this, I, this calling is important. I do believe that this is our generation, generation's calling. You know, if you look at the 1800s, the Irish didn't like Scottish and Scottish didn't like it, it, Italians. If you went to New York, everybody was lived separately. And so I think that our church, the church and the generations is moving towards what God wants us to move towards, what heaven is going to look like for all cultures and colors and will speak in their languages and worship God together. So I do think we need to talk about this, but we do not need to get rid of culture. You do not need to just see me as a child of God. You need to see me as a child of God given skills from my culture. Consider for a second the four classes that we have. So this is a worldview class. We have a doctrinal class. We have a um, apologetics class, and we have an exegetical class behind us. So the church what it is and what it should do is the, the topic, right? And so as we look at the context of our part of it, like, I love how we talked about the church should be an oasis, right? Um, that anyone should walk into. That's the goal. It's a lofty goal. I want to love my wife to there ain't no life in me. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, I fall short. But you can't give up. I'm not giving up. Pastor J, so what did JD mean by that he's, he should bear the responsibility of his of his ancestors? Oh, I don't know about that. But let me finish my thought, though. Okay. Oh, so, I'm sorry. I sorry. love my wife, and it will take probably until, like, I'm beyond dead to, sh to really love her. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's a goal that I will constantly pursue in terms of loving her. We as the church... As Nazareth River Baptist Church have to pursue that goal to be as gospel centered, to be as gospel loving, to be as warm, um, to be that spiritual oasis that folks, when they fall out of the street, I don't know where they're coming from, what they're experiencing, what they're addicted to, what they're, what, when they come here, they should feel nothing but the love of God. And, and I'm not saying that we're not there, because I think we do a pretty good job, to be honest with you but we can never be complacent in that goal. How can we, like, well, let's not, get, let's not get to how can we do that? Because at the end of our class, the seventh and sixth, excuse me, seventh and eighth classes will be a project where we kind of figure out, hey, how can we do something, like a, a poster board or something, just some way of, of making people feel more welcome, I don't know how. But let's talk for a second. If someone was to walk in here, 
let's say they were tattooed from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I don't know. Pick out the person that you're thinking, oh my goodness, what are they doing here? Like, what's at stake? Should we not make that person really feel the love of God? We have their military soul. folks in... Their soul is at stake. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, I, yeah, I think we I that every day. Their families and their kids. I mean, money wins. Okay, wait. So she said this whole, I want to hear. Can you, and then, um, yeah. That's oh, okay. Their soul is at stake if uh -huh. we reject them mm -hmm. and they leave. They may never hear the, the word of God again. They may never get this opportunity to accept Christ. And we miss the opportunity and to be used by God to reach absolutely. them. Absolutely. Because if it's part of God's will that they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved. But yeah. you miss true. the opportunity mm -hmm. to be used. Uh huh. Yeah. Hold on. Our brother was going to say something okay. over there in the corner. Oh. Oh. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just saying every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when Dallas, I see ladies and men completely covered with tattoos. Uh -huh. This is the nurses. And some of the patients, and I, I just say, oh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to. I, I just treat them look like anything else. The military has figured this out, unfortunately. I think a lot better than other organizations. I don't, I don't know if they got it better than the church, but we have a. You can't not like this dude working with you. And get the mission done like you yeah you just got to do it and so either you work together well or you got to go right and so um we've realized that when we and the military's done really good i think addressing biases and stuff they've gotten better in the last 10 years but if you don't care for the person that you're working with and they can't get to the heart of the issue that's the problem but if you don't care for the person that you're working with if you don't see them as your equal, if you don't value them, then your job isn't done well. The, the team cohesion isn't isn't there. <coughs> and then before you know it, you can have mission failure. Whatever your objective is, you can fail at that. And then the enemy wins, and then we all lose. Like, we get that. In the hospital, I think we get it pretty well, Richard, maybe. Why is it that, um, why is it that um, it's, it's not discussed as much in the churches, though. The mission of Nansburg Baptist Church, the mission of like God's church to reach and save the lost, to bring people back to a saving knowledge and fellowship with God, like that's the goal. But like we don't. So going back to our first question, is this a difficult conversation, and why? Like, how do we make it a better conversation? Yes, sir. I think what makes it difficult is what we saw in the video. Mm -hmm. Everybody just danced around what they perceived. I heard, you know, we got to address these issues that keep bubbling up. Well, nobody said nothing about any issues. We got to, we got to address this. You know, we got to accept it. Accept what? You know, I used to listen to talk radio, and they bring on economists that would just talk in generalities. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that could apply to astrophysics, what you're saying. You're talking so general. What are the issues that keep bubbling up? That's a good question. What are the issues? So can we, can I? Yeah. Okay. 
So when we talked about the, the tattooed person coming in, um, I think that we are already putting a stereotype in our minds thinking that that person's not saved. So that would be a way that we need to um, not assume that. But I think a way that we can reach as, as the body is like talk to each other. And I, I, like the old church that we used to go to, one of the things that we did love about it was that like an hour, I mean like a couple minutes before, because you know, as a, as a black person walking in, and if I've dealt with racism, which I have from everywhere, and I go into somewhere, a, a church, and I feel like no one's talking to me because that's what the world did to me, and I'm hurt by that, then I'm thinking that that's racist. But then the white person behind me they did the same thing to them. So I think one of the way, and it's normal to feel that way, but it isn't right. But I think one of the ways that you, you could work on that is like. Um, we, we would do like five minutes, six, sometimes more of just the congregation crossing the aisles. Like, hey, I see you. See, I've see somebody you don't before. know, never met before, mm -hmm. go up, ask their name. Yeah. Hey, where are you from? What do you do? Because some of that hurt, you know, it's, it's, it's not, always right. Yeah. So why do you think we we see a person with tattoos that they're unsaved? I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't. I have tattoos, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think tattoos are anymore. Maybe it's mean, Some people may know. It's a stereotype. Old stereotype. You can be as put together as possible and people so um, the my, one of my neighbors loves to tease me because I used to be a bartender. And she was like, I just I can't see you as a bartender. I'm like, well, I've not always been like this. <laughs> 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 like, uh, right. You know, I was fine. Talk to you about the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, I don't think most of us would think a tattooed person has isn't safe. Yeah, I don't think so. I, mean, I think that's an old stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. Motorcycle, I are we the majority? Yeah. Yeah. I and I wonder how many people feel like myself. You have to close your eyes, and it takes a lot of humility. Maybe it just takes, maybe it's me. Just, I don't know who that person is to you that, and maybe there's not. Maybe my brother here is right. You've reached that point where you see everyone. I, I, I ain't perfect. I, I remember the guy at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget the guy at the gas station. I think the goal, at least for our first yeah. session, is to just ask yourself, like, and maybe not even yourself, maybe the spirit of God, like, God, show me where, like, and I can't rely on my wife, I love her, but she may not be as brutally honest, she can't see my heart, don't, right. like, she, God, where is it, is there anything in me that is unbecoming of you, Lord, is there anything in me that's causing me not to love this hiker? Because they've hiked all the way from Damascus and they're crazy or what? I don't know. It's they they smell bad. <laughs> Whatever. And his name is Riverbud. <laughs> but no pun intended. He lives in Newport News, and maybe in a few weeks he'll come to our church because we got the love on that brother, right? And so, God, I need. We need the Lord to to work this, and not only. The issue of race, the issue of like. So yes, ma'am. I have a different story. So I, I was raised in East Germany, but this was controlled by Russians. 
from the fifth grade on, they had uh, speaks Russian, you know, and it was the main language. There was no God. We were taught from the first day, you know, there is no God. That's just started from the monkeys, also, you know, and so. And so, and when I, I, there were now, I fight you all day. There was no black people. They were all just white people. They, they were not even Jews in East Germany. You don't, they were all up over in West Germany. You know. So I never saw a black person. I never hated nobody. There was large jealousy over this because everyone, where there's middle money, money making, you know, the doctors, they don't got much more money than somebody that worked out in a field or something, you know. Uh, but they had a little bit better advantage than you get, I see, jealousy over, over something like, you know. Uh, uh, everyone was almost the same class. Mm -hmm. Because of communism. Communism. Yeah. Uh, you would not go this, oh, this bad. When I graduated 17, when I was 17, I don't tell nobody, not even my parents. I say, I'm not staying here, I'm going over to West Germany. And uh, I went in the train and I was lucky. We were living outside from Berlin. Mm -hmm. And I went with the train, with the street <coughs> over to uh, to Berlin and I came there and they checked in the ticket and they said, where are you going? I don't could take nothing with me. I could not even take my birth certificate or something with me. Because when they say, what you need this for going there, you know, my grandmother, she was living in the city. They said, where are you going? I, I said, I'm going to see my grandmother. And then I went over to the east, I went out at West Germany. This was before the wall, mm -hmm. just the year before the wall came. And went over there and stayed there. And then we, they flew me over to, because Russian was all around Berlin, you know. And uh, so they had to fly me over to West Germany. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I saw the first, I was amazed when the first, there's lots of uh, um, Americans were over there. They, you know, uh, and, they, and this, when I the first black person saw, I was amazed. <laughs> I was staring at people. I was really amazed, you know, over home. But I never had hatred. Yeah. And then this, the first, well, in, in East Germany, the only thing they taught us to hate is they had a conflict this time when I was in school, uh, in school with, um, with China. And they taught us in school, and I never forget this. They say, "Do not pass those slight eyes shine China." They say they smile in your face and stab you in the back. And you were taught that from early. From school. East Germany. Yeah. This this And I was scared of you know that you get scared and get but I believe this, when I came to the United States and I started, uh, we moved in here and here in the suburbs, and they came from this small, from here, 
I'm visiting. <laughs> but my husband said, why don't you take the boys as we're going to, they were really yes. And I had stand and they had them buses going because I was not driving and I when they came by and then I went every Sunday to church beside. That's an amazing story. I don't think any of us have lived in a communist country. Oh Jesus, I won't go with this space. Let us let's pray really quickly. Thank you, sister, for sharing that story. Um I thank God that he's brought you all from all over the world, literally, to be in his class. And from, and I pray that you will continue to share your perspectives. Um, I'll tell you right now, the videos aren't perfect, right? So try to not, it's going to be difficult to do. It's to provoke discussion, right? And we need discussion. So try to, um, try to just see it as that, right? We're going to have... Um, there's some stuff I differ with on them, but I think for the most part, it should get some discussions going. Thank you, sister, for sharing. Um, please pray. Remember, that's part of the, the class covenant. Pray. <laughs> pray for each other. Pray for yourself. Right? <coughs> and also pray for the rest of the, the groups, okay? Um, here, I'll pray this out. Dear Lord, I thank you that you saw us before we even acknowledged who you were, Lord, before we even knew that we needed you, that you still saw us in our desperation, and you died for us, Father. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. And Lord, as we, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Lord, we would be completely hopeless. But Lord, we celebrate the fact that now we have Christ, and we are with hope, Lord. And we pray that our church can be a church that overflows with hope into the hallways, into the lobby, into the parking lot, Father God, so that everyone, even into the street, Lord, when they pass by this church, they may get a sense of your love and your hope. I pray for this group that you'll continue to lead them and guide us. Help us, Lord, reveal anything in us, Lord, that is not of you, any wickedness, Lord, any bias, Father God, any prejudice, Father God. If there's anything in us that is not of you, move it out of us. Give us your eyes, Lord, so that we can do your work, so that we can be your hands and your feet and I thank you for this evening and I pray that lots of people will help us clean up in Jesus name amen clean up you miss you have to Yeah. 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 Yeah.